welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin from the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. This week, we have a special edition of the podcast. I'm just talking to Sarah Gigante from the TIPCO Silicon Valley Bank team and the Australian national team about the World Road Race Championships that just occurred, as well as the upcoming first edition, first ever edition of the women's Paris-Roubaix race that runs tomorrow, Saturday, October 2nd. Sarah isn't fully healthy at the moment, so she didn't race at the Worlds and isn't racing at Roubaix, but I thought that would give her a nice perspective to sit back and watch the events or speculate on Roubaix and what would happen. So we'll just get into that conversation as quickly as possible. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free weekly edition and a paid daily edition during Grand Tours and trice weekly during non-Grand Tours week. You get discounts to select brands like Stage of Cycling, Fast Cat Coaching, Cure of Switzerland. So head to beyondthepeloton.substack.com to sign up. There's also a link in the show notes. Well, we'll get into that conversation right now. It's great to have you back. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I thought we could talk about uh, the World Championships that just happened and the upcoming first edition of the Women's Paris-Roubaix, which is super exciting um, and kind of gets your insight into both races. Yeah. I would love to get your view of it. I'm sure you've talked, your roommate Kristen Faulkner was in the race, and I'm sure you've talked to many other people about what the race was like. From my first impression, it looked incredibly hard. Is that what people have said to you about it? Like it looked like it was all, like pretty much all out from the gun. Yeah, I well, I've heard it was super hard positioning wise, especially. So I had a few friends that did it and they both said that was the toughest part. So just well, the women actually had a long flat, um, yeah, long flat drag into like the first circuit. And they said the race to be up the front, um, coming into that those first critical moments was so hard, like probably the hardest part of part of the race. And if you missed it there. Um, the race kind of broke up quite quickly or a lot of people were caught up either like dropped off or just caught up behind. Like you saw it in every race, you'd come to that hairpin corner before one of those short steep climbs. And as soon as like one person drops their chain, because everyone's changing chain rings right before the hill, or like there's a little crash and then like half the peloton's held up. So they said it was really like a race of positioning. That's, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I imagine the difficulty of like a lot of Flanders racing being is just being at the front, even like a hundred kilometers from the finish or like 70 kilometers from the finish, Mm. um, where a normal race, you wouldn't really have to worry about that as much. Yeah. Super important. I actually, I didn't make Van Vluden. She attacked 101 kilometers to go. So I guess not too dissimilar to when she won in Yorkshire, but that just shows like how crucial it was to be focused the whole way through. So I think the race was like 157 kilometers. And of course there were attacks pretty soon, but to see um, someone like as strong as Anamik attacking with over hundred K to go just shows like <laughs> the Dutch clearly wanted a pretty hard race. Yeah. And she's strong enough to make that stick, which makes it really difficult. I mean, yeah, as we saw at Yorkshire where that was, that's actually one of my favorite world championships that's happened in recent years. Um, when it was like it was basically an individual pursuit between her and Chloe Digert off the front for like a hundred kilometers. Um, so yeah, I, I can't <laughs> yeah, pretty insane. imagine being a race where you have to worry about that. You're just like, well, she's attacking with a hundred K to go and like she could make this stick. Yeah. I mean the climbs were certainly like pretty short relatively. And even compared to Flanders, Kristen was telling me like the route was definitely easier but that's easier in inverted yeah. like it's still really lumpy course and it was just always you're on the pedals or if you're like descending into a climb then obviously you have to get, get there pretty quickly to start the climb before everyone else so like you're always always concentrating and most of the time you're always going hard too so the the dutch women were like the big favorites like they've won the last before this they didn't win this race but before this they won like the last four editions of worlds if you were healthy enough to race and you were on the australian team what would have been your tactic going into the race and then next question and then the second part of that question is if you were on the dutch team what would your tactic tactic have been going into the race Ah, it's hard to guess because, of course, it's always dependent 
what your DS tells you to do. But I can imagine, I mean, I'll go with the Dutch one first because that seems a little more obvious maybe um, because they it seemed like they wanted a hard race of like Animek attacking with 101 kilometres to go and then um, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but quite a flurry of attacks by a few different Dutch riders throughout the whole race after that. Um, they probably would have told me to do the same thing. I mean, it's not like I'm going to be the best rider to like lead Voss out at the end, for example. So they probably would have used me to, yeah, even make attacks, cover attacks, or I could be the, the water girl, you know, yeah, yeah. um, something like that. And then on the Aussie team, I think, yeah, it's hard to say because I wasn't there, um, but I think Chloe Hosking and Sarah Roy were looking to have good days. I think the course suited them both quite well. So, I mean, maybe the team was geared around them, but it's hard to say. And in the end, it ended up being Rachel Nalen. She had an impressive ride. She actually attacked, I think it was, I have it down here, like, here we go, 10 kilometres to go. She attacked with Lucinda Brand, which was really exciting. Like, we only had one Aussie in that front bunch um, towards the end, like, on the final lap, and I was so excited to see it. Um, Rachel off the front when she was the only one there. It was pretty brave. I thought that was cool. No, it's, that's really impressive. I, I remember... This must have been like five or six years ago. She was like having trouble finding a pro team to stay professional. And then now she's years later still in the front group at world championships with a super select group of women. So, yeah, I I was really impressed with that as well. Yeah, even this year, um, she was on a Spanish team but wasn't getting to race much. So she just switched over to Park Hotel Welkenberg like in the second half of the year. So, yeah, she's been having, like, troubles actually getting to race. So it was really special to see her getting to race and not only getting to race, actually doing super well. And even on the Aussie team, she wasn't actually selected for the team originally, but unfortunately Brody Chapman had a nasty crash at Simac Ladies Tour, I think it was, and she needed surgery for her leg. So uh, Rachel was able to step in. So although it was a real shame that Brady couldn't race, it was really cool to see Rachel up there and attacking in the end after a hard year. And do so, Eliza Balsamo wins. Um, I, it's fair to say I did not predict that, or I didn't see that coming. And she beat Marianne Voss I, it, pretty impressively, like pretty much just straight up in that sprint. Voss couldn't come around her. Voss was probably actually in the better position. Did you do you know much about? Aliza, like, do you know, did you know before this race that she's like a super dangerous, um, like reduced bunch sprinter or was that a surprise to you as well? She was definitely a surprise winner for me. And I'm so impressed and I was so, so happy for her. Like I've never, I mean, I've seen a lot of happy winners before, but I think I've, I've never seen someone still crying like with happiness, which was so lovely to see during the national anthem like, I don't know how many minutes after she won, maybe like 15, 20 minutes later, and the Italian anthem's going, which is like the best anthem ever, I have to say. <laughs> like, I'm glad I'm Australian, but I, it would be cool to be Italian just to have that national anthem. It's like so happy and joyous. Anyway, she was like standing on the podium with her hand to her heart. All her teammates were singing just as loudly, and she was still crying with tears of joy, and she just... Looks so shocked, but always remember to thank her team and her family. I think that was really cool. So I'm so stoked for her. And, yeah, it's super impressive. She's 23 years old. She won the Junior Road Worlds in 2016 in Qatar, which was a sprint. Um, I mean, Qatar's pretty dead flat. So, like, I knew she was a good sprinter from that. But also this year I've been watching quite a lot of the races, especially yeah, well, I've been sick and I've always noticed she hasn't won much this year. I think she won Utingen in March, so maybe one race. Um, but she does win a lot of sprints. So even though she's not winning the races, she's winning the sprint behind the breakaway. So it always seems she never wins a race because, like, a few teams have got up the road with a couple of riders. So maybe she's winning the sprint for fifth or seventh or even ninth or something. And maybe her team, it's a, a bit of a smaller one. It's Velcar um, Travel and Service, I think it's called. 
they're super impressive, but they're a continental team. So, yeah, a bit smaller. And when they miss the break, I guess it's a bit harder than if, like, SD works, misses the break. So even though she's not always in the opportunity, she doesn't always have the opportunity to go for the win at the end of the race, she's normally right up there. Um, yeah, even if it's not for the win, she's always winning those sprints. So she has been impressive, but, yeah, I think everyone was just blown away with how amazing she was last Saturday. And I hope she I hope she can do really well this Saturday. Of course, my own team, Divco Silicon Valley Bank, they'll be there, so I'll be rooting them on and all the Aussies. But it's also always cool to see someone um, break that curse of the rainbow jersey just you know, first race. <laughs> That'd be yeah. No, that's an astute observation about m- not being on a team that can just pull moves back. So she, if a break gets up the road, it's probably going to stay away if she's not in it. And then she's, but she's been winning the bunch sprints, which, you know, everything's totally different at world championships. It's not quite the same team, team tra- trade team tactics, which then was perfect for her. I was a little surprised, I guess in retrospect, that the Dutch team was fine taking her to the line. I mean, just knowing what, just what you said, that she's pretty quick. She wins a lot of bunch sprints, maybe not for the win, but people know she's a quick rider, that they were okay with doing that. I mean, I guess perhaps with so many big personalities on that team and big stars, it's going to be hard to tell um, even someone like Lucinda Brand, like, hey, you got to sit on the front 40k from the finish because i think they i i'll have to rewatch it i think they did drop balsamo at one point and then she got back on to the front group which in retrospect is a huge missed opportunity because voss would have toasted everyone in that sprint had balsamo not been there um i were you surprised at all that the dutch were fine taking her to the line and then you know just kind of flipping a coin with voss sprinting against her yeah, it's hard to say whether they really were fine, though, because, like I said, they were trying to make the race hard the whole time. Like, the climbs weren't that long, so it's not like anime could just be like, okay, I'm going to drop all the sprinters on this climb and it will be easy as. So perhaps they were trying. Like, we saw so many different attacks after Mavi attacked and was brought back with 11K to go, then, yeah, listen to Brand attacks. Um, then Alan Van Dyke got in that breakaway with 5K to go, um, that group of five. So they had Voss and Alan Van Dyke in that. And um, Van Dyke did try to keep that away, but that was chased back by the main group. And then Anamika went again when they were caught. And then lastly, Van Dyke. So, I mean, they were attacking a lot. I'm not sure that they would have been stoked to have her there, but I'm sure they had a lot of confidence in Marianne Voss. I think... Nearly everyone um, watching that race with like a few K to go, once you knew it was going to be that reduced sponge sprint, I think most people still would have picked Voss. And yeah, I mean, Voss still, still had an amazing race. The Dutch still looked really strong, but sometimes you just have a rider that has an amazing day. Um, Balsamo had obviously trained super, super hard, came into this race in the perfect shape, and her team were just so amazing. Like, they were all in for Balsamo and it was really special to see. Like when Longo Borghini um, came to the front with about a kilometre to go and she was going so fast that they pretty much dropped, she pretty much dropped everyone apart from Balsamo and Balsamo um, on that ride. She was going so quickly that I thought she was going to win, but it was just her amazing lead out. And then, like you said, Vass was in a good position still, but yeah, Balsamo just had an absolutely stunning day and yeah i don't think anyone would um begrudge her that victory yeah no i was really impressed with the italy they kind of emerged with like 1.5k to go and it was pretty mm. impressive and then to have longor borghini who i liked for the win and i i did i thought the same thing as you i was like oh she's gonna win this um and then it's like oh no they just have her working for balsamo i mean that is that's pretty ballsy that's pretty impressive that they would put that much faith in they must have decided at some point that okay our last our last woman in the sprint is balsamo and longor borghini one of the strong i think she's third currently in the pcs rankings so like literally one of the strongest women in the world is going to lead you out for the sprint i i was really blown away with 
the, like how they got Italy got the other women to buy into working for this somewhat unknown young writer. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it was- pretty amazing. You always see the Italians working super well together. And like you said, Longo Borghini is so strong and she could have gone for the win, but she put all her faith in Balsamo, as did the whole team. And even a rider like Bacinelli, she was there and she's won the world champs before. So, yeah, it was really special to see, you know, like, there's a difference sometimes between you can have a team of champions, but a champion team um, is what you're really looking for. And it was super cool to see them all work so well together and then all celebrate so well. And it's cool because Balsamo and Longo Borghini will actually be teammates next year on Trek. So that's Yeah, special. yeah. I mean, and I'm just looking. They had five riders within 30 seconds of the winner, which is super impressive. Um, I think really that like... I maybe didn't expect enough from them coming into the race, but they were, for me, the team of the race. That that was really well held. And they weren't too aggressive, and they kind of let the Dutch do their thing. And, and as you said, there was that move with um, Van Dyke and Voss, and you're like, I was thinking like, well, this is it. Like, who can pull this back? Uh, but they just like weathered that blow and then got, once they were within the inside the final kilometer, it seemed like, that's what no, that's exactly the scenario they wanted. That they can have, you know, three, four riders there for Balsamo in the final kilometer. They're gonna lead her out and she's gonna beat Voss in the sprint. Um just, I could I cannot say enough uh positive things about that. And that's I don't know about you, but I would have a hard time feeling confident as a twenty three year old going against mm-hmm. Mariana Voss mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna smoke her in this in this slightly uphill finish. Probably one of the best uphill sprinters of all time. Yeah, they're both super impressive riders, but like you said, takes a lot of confidence to do what uh, Elisa Balsano did. And I think she's inspired a lot of riders, including myself. Like, it just goes to show if you believe in yourself and your team and you give everything, then sometimes pretty special things can happen. Yeah. And so that this Dutch core um, of like Van Vluten, I mean, it's even hard to pick. They're all very good. Like Van Vluten, Voss, Van der Bregen. Um, and like Van Dyke to a certain extent, I mean, they're all very good and they've kept, I would say, I, I haven't crunched the numbers on this, but they seem as dominant as they've ever been in, in, uh, like trade team racing. You know, maybe there's been a slight dip there. I think, I believe they're all over 30 years old. So it's like at some point they, their skills will slip. Um, but when we get into, we've uh, the last two big international races we've had we've had pretty un, pretty surprising and like somewhat unknown winners. Um, the Olympics was a little bit more like bombastic with the way I am going to mispronounce her name, but Anna Kaisenhofer won. And then with Elisa Balsama winning worlds, do you think this is a, like a trend or do you think these are just two slightly random occurrences and for the next five years, the Dutch will continue dominating international racing? Or do you think this is almost like a, like a puncture in the Dutch's dominance over the past few years? And like, we'll start seeing more, like more up and coming riders winning these major events. Mm, That's hard to say. Very big question. I don't think they're random. I certainly think that you can't fluke a world championship win or an Olympic win. So I don't want to say that they're random wins at all. I think both those riders are absolutely incredible and, yeah, deserved every bit of it and put in all the hard work. So it's – but then again, like, I don't think it's fair to say that the Dutch are, yeah, losing their streak, so to speak, even though they did lose their world championship streak. But (laughs) you know what I mean? I think the Dutch are still incredibly dominant and, like, they did win European – the road race at European champs a couple of weeks ago and I'm sure they'll be super strong next year but yeah like you said it is like a slightly older team compared to a lot of the other nations I think including Italy um I think I read that Demi Vellering was the only rider on their team under the age of 30 so I mean eventually we I guess we'll see like the new Dutch riders coming up but that's already happening really so we've got um, even though they're not at the Worlds, so that's kind of a whole nother debate. Um, 
he can be a super, super promising, super strong young Dutch rider and you don't even get to represent your country. Just like how can you? Like even Lorena Weebus, like she's so good. She's winning like world tour races and she doesn't get to go to worlds just because, um, yeah, there are so many other riders. But, yeah, now uh, I think Anna van der Breggen, that was obviously her last race. And a few of the others, I think Chantal Black, yeah. retiring. Um, so I guess in a way it's end of an era, but not really. <laughs> to be honest, I think the Dutch will always be amazing. Yeah, no, it's this funny phenomenon. It's like this with U.S. women's soccer where the, like, the older established stars are so good that you, it's not super logical to like not – like how would you not include Anna van der Bregen in a – in a world championship team, but then you have these young up and coming riders or players who like can't make a selection because the older riders are like basically taking those spots. And it's a difficult thing to balance that. Um, I guess it will, I guess we'll naturally you'll, you'll see some like oxenization into that with Vanderbregen and Chantel Black stepping away. And yeah, I actually had forgotten about her Lorena. Weeb. how do you say her last name? Well, don't ask me. <laughs> I said Weavis. But they also have like Lonika Unikin. Um, she had her first world tour win at, I think it was Sumac Ladies Tour as well. And she's only my age, so 20 or 21. So that was super impressive. And I think that's where it would be really cool to have an under 23 category, to be honest, just like the boys do. So um, even though there are some riders that can just jump out like out of juniors and they're already strong enough, already good enough to, yeah, you can definitely point to examples on both the women's and men's side where riders don't need that category, but the overwhelming majority do. And the overwhelming majority of under 23 riders are really missing out on the women's side. I can point to so many of my, yeah, my under 23 compatriots in Australia right now who, if there was an under 23 women's category, they would have got the opportunity to pull on the green and gold, um, had that massive goal, gone overseas, got spotted by, hopefully got spotted by some proteins for maybe next year, maybe the year after. But just to get on the radar, um, they're super strong riders, but instead there's nowhere that they can really go because the, the step up is so huge. Like how you meant to, it's not nearly as bad as being Dutch, obviously, but like trying to get a spot on the Aussie team um, for the young riders in Australia, they're up against people like, you know, like Amanda Sprout, Grace Brown, Sarah Roy. So it's just a, a much bigger gap than if you had those four years in under-23s and you can slowly, um, yeah, develop at your own pace rather than everyone going crazy trying to get spotted in under-19s because if you don't get spotted in under-19s, then suddenly you're thrown into the deep end and that's where we lose a lot of young riders. It's such a good point. I mean, even in the, I'm, because on, on one hand, I'm like, well, what's the U23 category for? This is so silly. Like, there's, there's world tour guys racing in it. Like, this seems a little ridiculous. But on the men's side, you saw the top two riders were like basically like semi professional riders. Like, uh, Baron Chini, who won, it looked like he was like racing on his own personal bike. And then the guy who got second, um, Heritage, he's from Eritrea. I, don't even want to attempt to, I'll like insert a correct pronunciation of his name right here. But I mean, that's huge exposure for both of those riders. Um, and they're beating world tour guys that are on world tour teams in that U23 race. So it would be, yeah, as you're saying, like it would be massive for the women. And I actually never noticed this before you brought it up um, that there's no women's U23 category and even more ridiculous, there's like a dead day in the middle of worlds. Like on, I think on Wednesday there was no racing. Literally arrested. Yeah, I and like the elite men, they're the only road race that's standalone on its own day, and they have the longest race, obviously. And the elite or the under twenty three women or the junior women, they'd have some of the shortest races. So you could easily put the junior women's road race with the elite men, so the shortest and the longest could go together fit on the same day. I mean, I say easily because I'm not organizing it, but it just makes me frustrated. Like they say there's not enough time, but then they manage to put in new events like the mixed team relay, which is also a cool event, but 
you can't say there's not enough time and then just add new events while ignoring like this huge yeah inequality just yeah yeah like the mix and i just feel like we're losing so many riders for no good reason yeah it's a really good point about using the dutch team as an example where you you have literal world-class riders like there's there's dutch women who maybe could have won the world championships who just can't because they're not under 19 can't race in the juniors and then they can't make a selection for their senior team and then you know, you could easily fall out of the sport in that like four or five year well, gap. Actually, yeah, I went to Junior Worlds in 2000. Oh, I feel old. I can't even remember. No, 2018. <laughs> That's not <laughs> I just have a bad memory. Um, and the girl that won the time trial, one of my friends actually, Dutch rider, I think. Well, I say one of my friends, but she has a really complicated Dutch name. But anyway, Rosemary. Um, from the Netherlands she won the time trial and so junior world champion and now in 2021 so three years later she just announced that she's yeah stepping out of the sport at least for a while so it just shows like how huge the gap is when someone that was junior world champion just a few years ago now I think she was citing like confidence problems and it's not really a surprise because I think a lot of young riders including myself it's hard like to keep up your confidence when you're getting like smashed most races. It's, it's re- pretty tough. And I think like I enjoy the challenge for sure. And the under 23 category, like I'm fighting for it, but it's not really for myself. I like as much as for the people I know that need it more. So I think it's like a cherry on top for the, like the riders that would be really competitive in the under 23 category. Yeah, of course it would be. Super cool next year. Wollongong would be a home world for me. So, yeah, it would be awesome to be able to go for an under-23 title there. But I think it's even more important for someone like Anya Lau, someone that I went to junior worlds with a few years ago. Um, And just that slight gap, like I've been able – I went to the Olympics this year. It was awesome. I managed to get on a pro team and – I mean, it hasn't gone perfectly for me, but I've, at least I've had two years of, yeah, being on a Conti team and I've gone to Europe both years. Meanwhile, Anya, she's pretty much as good as I am, but she didn't get on that pro team two years ago when I did. And she didn't, Then that leads on, like there are so many, you know, like run along problems. She didn't get picked for the Olympics because she wasn't on a pro team and, she wasn't on the pro team because it's so hard to get exposure. Just, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's really annoying when you see riders that could be so good and so many riders like that. And they just don't have the ladder to climb. It's just, you have to some, somehow like fly up and start at like rung 10. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And there's like a lot of, I think there's like a big phenomenon of if you jump too much, like if you go from juniors to racing against the best in the world like you people it almost you'll like you'll teach people to stop racing for the win because it's so hard and you're just like i'm just Mm. trying to survive and then even if even if you do progress over four or five years to be very strong it's like you've like lost that sharpness of like race winning and like going into races mentally prepared for winning where i think that's like a huge phenomenon where if you jump too many steps and you know, it's like there's a few freaks like you and like Tade Pogacar. You can just like, oh, I'm in juniors and now. <laughs> I didn't think I belong <laughs> in the same category as him. But equally <laughs> accomplished riders. And then, but you, you, but you are competing like you're top 10 at like big, at big races. Um, but a lot of riders, I mean, you, you, this is like a common thing with the, with American men, particularly where they'll go over and they're pretty good and they're trying to win. And then it's almost like they just get beaten down over time and then they like forget how to win races. I'm sure that must happen in women's going from juniors to seniors mm-hmm. without a middle step. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the, one of the things I'm most excited about um, heading to Movistar next year. I think it would just be super cool to be in an environment where you go to a race and winning is not just like a small chance of like, yeah, like hopefully we can get a podium. Like with Movie Star, it's going to be so, so cool because every race we go to, 
I think that we'll end up having someone that is actually one of the favourites and actually, yeah, heading to a race with that confidence that, okay, we can do this, like let's go for the win and truly believing that you can do it. I think that makes a huge difference. And I've noticed in myself, like my mindset at home versus in Europe, for sure, like I'm way more comfortable in Australia doing crazy attacks and like, okay, there's a hill 50 kilometres from the line. Let's see if I can get away and go solo. Whereas in Europe, you'd almost feel crazy just thinking that. So I think you're right. Um, A lot of it's about like preserving that self-belief and that hope that's really important for a young rider stepping up because you're never going to just be able to jump physically to the same level as someone that's a lot older than you. And, of course, you have some stronger young riders, but a lot of it's just continuing to believe in yourself while you slowly make your way up physically and mentally. Yeah, and I think people are like, it almost makes people slightly uncomfortable with like how much um, what you said about Movistar, like going to races and you're around a team that expects to win, how much better that can make you. Where it's like, it it seems so simple. Like it's like overly simplistic or like being on a team with people who win races and then you know the winner of the race and then like you know that it's possible to achieve. I mean, a lot. I think a lot of success in cycling is like, comes down to that. Like going to race, I mean, probably any sport, like going into an event where it's like, people inside the team have won before winning is expected it's not like a crazy thing that would happen um can breed like a lot more success Um, it sounds really simple but i'm like a huge believer in that 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 makes a big difference yeah for sure that's one of the reasons i picked movistar like i've heard of the van vluten effect for sure (laughs) and i think (laughs) wherever strong riders are then they seem to yeah really light up the atmosphere and inspire their teammates. And the cool thing about Movistar is that it's not at all just, <laughs> just, but, you know, it's not only Anne-Marie Kvansluden smashing the races. Like, we've got so many good riders. And this year, like, Emma Norsgaard and Leah Thomas have been winning and then Barbara's been doing well in the sprints and so many other riders too. And then we've got another really strong rider coming in. So, yeah, I'm just super excited. I think what you said is completely true. Um, yeah winning kind of motivates winning but also just makes it yeah it's more fun having that hope and hopefully that will yeah I think that makes everything more enjoyable you know hope is everything yeah so Perry Roubaix which is coming up this Saturday I believe um, it's the first time there's ever been a Perry Roubaix for women which is crazy it's like uh, on one hand it's like exciting and very cool on the other hand, you're like, how did it, how did this happen? Like, this seems crazy yeah. that it hasn't happened before now. Um, a little disappointed. It's 116 kilometers, which is like slightly. I mean, I think the men's race is like 240 kilometers or something. It's very long. Um, it's a little bit short, but it is on. Um, I believe 29 or 30 kilometers of it is on cobblestones, like very difficult cobblestones. So even though the race is short, that will make it extremely selective. What was what's this? What do you think the selection criteria or like uh, philosophy is here for these teams? Because for men's teams, it's like the bigger the better. Like you want to be like you want to send your biggest riders to this event. I think what's interesting with the women's is that we might like you probably see Anna Meek Van Vluten doing doing very well, even though she's probably the best climber in the world in the women's peloton. So. It, it's almost like a throwback version of the men's race when like Greg LeMond and Bernardi know were like battling for the win at Roubaix. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think, yeah, like what you said is right. I think we'll see a lot of strong all-rounders going, maybe some of the classics riders, time trialists, maybe like, yeah, some really strong sprinters. And then we've also got some cyclocross riders doing it, so would be cool. I think Marianne Voss is definitely my favorite. We know how good she is at cyclocross and sprinting and everything. So, I mean, so much luck will come into this race. And I think the roads might be wet. So that is going to be crazy. Sure. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's happened since like it's some crazy streak. Like, I think it was like there's like a 2002. Yeah, I think the last wet one. It is 
it's almost unwritable when it's that wet. So that will make it really interesting. Well, I did a recon for it before Brabanspil in, so we're talking like April, maybe. I went there with my team and we did a, a little recon just of the last 60 kilometers. And I came out of that recon <laughs> like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like that recon was hard. And we are talking like a recovery paced record ride along like the cobbles to see, oh, these are cool cobbles. And like I came out, like I even fell off on one of the corners. I mean, it was wet, but still like I fell off once, like my hands were covered in blisters. Um, I was freezing. I got a puncture and then I, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> like if I found like a two hour recovery ride hard, imagine what the race will be like. So yeah, I think it's going to be absolutely on from the start. And I will say I'm pretty disappointed that, um, apparently we missed the first half of the race for the streaming. So I'm kind of worried that by the time we turn on the TV, then half the race being over will mean that more than half the pelotons disappeared just because how hard the race is going to be from early on. Um, but I am super excited that there's a women's Paris Bay at long last and that we can watch the last 60 kilometers. So yeah, I'm so, so excited to see what will happen because I think it's going to be even more unpredictable than you can possibly get. Like, it's the first ever race. It might be wet. Like, we have so many riders that are in form and everyone wants to win the first ever Paris-Roubaix. That's such a bummer. I didn't realize that about the TV. Um, that it, oh, that's like a double. That's what I was told. It, it makes sense. Now that yeah. you say it, it makes sense. I mean, I guess you want to be like respectful of like how expensive it is and how difficult it is to televise an event, but. Uh, but it, they're it, um, televising 250 kilometers of the men's race so, uh, next year. But this yeah. happened at Strada Bianchi maybe two years ago. Probably happened this year too, where they like start the women's broadcast way too late. And then you're just like watching. It's like everything's already happened. Yeah, Adam Aik had already won. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Where it's, I wish they could have worked it out so they'd start at, at least the first cobble section sector on tv that would have uh that would have been a lot better um so tell me about that recon a little bit i assume i assume it's got to be like the roughest roads you've ever ridden over oh 100 percent. and the cobbles i didn't mind going like straight on the cobbles but i really have to work on my turning skills because i was just like riding with a bunch and then like it was kind of I think the main problem, it wasn't that the cobbles were wet. It was that they were so muddy. Like every cobble would have like a centimeter of mud over it. So then when you turned, it was just like the cobbles were trying to make you crash. And then I kind of got a bit worried, like mid corner. It was completely my fault. I crashed. Like it was so obvious because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going too fast for this corner. And then as soon as you break, that's like asking to crash. So just fell off <laughs> but there was a lot of mud so I just slid but yeah <laughs> you have to have some good bike skills if it's going to be wet and I mean hopefully it's a bit less muddy because there were sections where it was not one centimeter it felt like 10 centimeters <laughs> in yeah that was like April. yeah I've seen pictures but, of this I yeah I don't even understand how it's rideable in certain points where it's mud didn't feel right and then it's mud <laughs> over stone which it is worse than just riding on regular mud because it's like slipping yeah, around yeah. underneath you. I can't even imagine how chaotic it's going to be. Like, I'm really excited to watch, but maybe this is, <laughs> it's like the only time I've been so, so, so excited to watch a race without having like <laughs> absolutely immense amounts of FOMO. So normally I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad I can't race. This time I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sad I can't race, but I'm very keen to watch and I'm not like overly sad, <laughs> you know, I think it's just going to be crazy, but I, yeah, it would be super cool to be part of the first one. And I'm really keen to see how everyone goes. Maybe this will be Kristen's race. I could definitely see her. I mean, if it was dry, I'd say there's no better course for her. Um, I guess we'll find, we'll find out how she rides on the wet cobbles in a few days. And what's interesting with the women is there's not, it's not too many. I mean, Tour Flanders has cobbles, but that's a very different type of cobble. There's not 
we don't have like too many data points about how like what cyclists ride better on really rough cobblestones versus other ones so it's kind of this nice unknown as you said i mean cyclocross would probably be the best um comparison we have obviously voss is maybe the best women's cyclocross rider of all time maybe the best cyclocross rider of all time period um you, you got to think that that's going to translate to the cobblestones do you think any can you think of anyone else who do you think is going to be like surprisingly good on cobblestones that people might not expect uh, i think Kepeki, she's also been been good at cyclocross before recently so i think she will have really good bike skills and be able to handle the cobbles well. I'm not sure how her form is at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, she was a big favourite for Worlds last week, so that would have taken a lot of mental energy for sure. Um, but I'm sure she'll be super excited to, you know, have another shot. She was still in the lead bunch at the end, but it did look like a pretty tough day, just like the whole day was so hard. So, yeah, I mean, this one's a bit flatter. She's really good at hills, but maybe a bit of a flatter course, more technical with the cobbles. Maybe that will help her. And, yeah, I'll be cheering for her too because she really had an unlucky Olympics, especially on the track. She crashed out, had quite a nasty injury, then came back for Worlds. But, yeah, all that pressure of being, like, the home crowd favourite, especially in a country like Belgium, yeah, that would take quite a lot out of you. So, yeah, yeah I'll be keen to see her do well. And then, of course, we have, I mean, my future teammates, um, Emma Norsgaard and Annemiek van Vluden. Like you said, it's, yeah, maybe not the perfect course for Annemiek just because it's got, like, no climbing at all. And she wasn't actually planning on doing it. I think she said um, in the media that she was going to do the women's tour. But, um, yeah, with the, the changes this year, it's a lot flatter. Um, there's no live coverage uh, things like that, she decided to come join the first ever Peru Bay. So, yeah, I'm not sure if she'll be going for the win herself or working for Emma, but I think they'll be cool to look out for. But, yeah, mainly SD works will be super hard to go past as well. Like, I, I don't have, like, one major favourite from SD works, just, like, SD works as a team, maybe Black. Um, yeah, they're just all really strong. So Voss is my main pick. Maybe Alan Van Dyke on Trek Segafredo will be a good rider to look out for. We saw how strong she was yeah. at European champs and world champs. And, yeah, like you said, to be, like, big and strong and just power over those couples, I think it will suit her really well. Hopefully, Elisa Beltramo will be able to do well in the rainbow stripes or at least just have a ton of fun wearing the rainbow stripes. Not many riders can say they're racing that. Lisa Brenau, she got a podium at Flanders and... Yeah, she's, apparently she's got good technical skills. I mean, I'm sure the track and cobbles are slightly different, but I'm sure she knows how to handle a bike very, very well. So maybe, yeah, Canyon Shram will be able to get a good result. Um, Marlon Rusa also another good time trials, but, yeah, I'm not sure about the cobbles part. Lorena, she didn't get to go to Worlds, and DSM would love to have a good result. So, yeah, maybe her. I don't know. I think the race is really open and that's what makes it so, so cool. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. Do you know if Grace Brown is racing? Did she get injured and I missed it? Yeah, unfortunately, I wish she was racing because I think she would have been one of the favorites on a course like this. And also for Worlds last week, she would have been fantastic. But um, she had a crash in the Giro and hurt her shoulder there and it just never really got better. So she had to get surgery. Oh, uh, that's too bad. So I think we'll see her. Yeah, she'll come back really strong for next year, I'm sure. She was like, um, I really thought she was like the revelation of the classics, like at Flanders. Yeah. Um, the uh, Bruges, I think it's like the OxyClean classic now, um, but it's from Bruges to Depana. Mm. I thought she was very good there. Uh, yeah, that that's a bummer. I would have liked to see her on the cobblestones to see how she does. I, I love your Lotto Capecchi pick because... Like you want to be at Roubaix, like you want to be strong enough to get to the velodrome in the lead group. And then usually, at least in the men's race, you have to out sprint at least one other person. And like, she would be perfect mm. for that. But I, I'm so curious yeah, to see how it, how it, if, if it's similar or different, um, if the shorter distance makes it 
like easier for a solo rider or more difficult since riders are fresher. Um, I just think it's going to be like a really fascinating race to watch since we've like literally never seen it before. Yeah, I, I'm so keen. I think it would just be just a race for every couple sector. I can just imagine everyone going flat out to get there first, but then over the couples, you also have to go flat out. And then after that couple section, you're pretty much going flat out again to the, to get to the next one. That's how I feel it will yep. be. I just think it's going to be super hard and super, super exciting and just so, yeah, so right, you know, to have a women's Prairie Bay along last, it just feels more complete than just seeing the men race. It, it's such a, such a fascinating race, so cool, but it always it was a bit sad to like always watch the men and never have women to um, look up to when I was a little kid watching it. Like I loved watching it, the men and watching Matt Heyman win after he broke his arm. Like that was so cool. But yeah, I think it's really important we can watch both this year. Yeah, I think it will arguably be a tougher race than the men's with the, I. But the short distance, it, it, I, I'm kind of with you where if I was a woman, I'd be like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Uh, maybe don't have a ton of FOMO about not being there because with that <laughs> distance and those cobblestones, it's going to be, as you said, nuclear fast on the cobblestones. And then in the men's race, there is like a lull in between cobble sectors. I don't think there's going to be like that with the distance being so, so short. I think people are just going to power through. Like you have to be at the front for the cobblestones and then people are just going to be battling for position on the pavement in between the cobblestones. It's, it's going to be brutally hard, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I don't think it would be easy to get an early breakaway kind of group forming at the start. I actually just think it would be flat out. I heard from one of the DSs that there's actually a key cobblestone sector 30 kilometers in so maybe one of the hardest I haven't actually checked it myself but he said one of the hardest sectors is that early on so sounds like it would just be on from the gun I can imagine like lead out trains into that 30 kilometer mark and then yeah you still have Helen's race 115 so you still have a long way to go after that and even though it's so so short compared to the men's like I was pretty shocked when I heard it was only 115 kilometers yeah I think we're gonna have a really hard race and even though it's a ton shorter in distance they actually do cover quite a lot of the cobbled sectors which is good and it just shows that <laughs> the proportion of cobbles in their race is pretty high yeah and I mean that is a bummer that there's no this would be the race that you'd want to televise line to line because it's going to be like lead out trains starting at the beginning for the first cobble section 30 kilometers in like that's gonna yeah maybe we can get someone to film the first two hours on their phone i remember kidal evans great ocean road race in 2020 wow that's only last year it feels like so much longer ago but i think it was robbie McEwen on the back of a motorbike when the um i think the weather was too bad for the helicopter footage to work something like that so robbie was sitting on the back of a motorbike with his 4G going, live coverage. <laughs> and we actually, like, we got to see a lot of, um, I mean, not a ton, but we got to see some of the tour um, de la Deche this year because of that, just people using, you know, iPads, iPhones, just filming and using the internet. So, I mean, it's not impossible. It's, sure, it's not the same quality, but I'd much rather be able to see the whole thing. So, yeah, it's cool when races work together and just use what they've got to show the whole race. And yeah, hopefully in the future we'll be able to watch the whole thing. For now, I'm just keen to see who will come out as the first ever Queen of Roubaix. Who's your bet? You're always asking me to choose. So I'm going with Voss. You can't. So yeah, I can't pick Voss. You took the best one. Um, I <laughs> Yeah, I, I was feeling good about Voss. I like Lada Kopecky. Um, mm, yeah, me too. And then I think she's one of my heart favorites. Yeah. And then your future teammate, Emma Norsgaard, I also uh, feel pretty good about. And then you'd mentioned Marla, mm. Marla, Marilyn Rousseau, Rousseau from Switzerland. That yeah. would be like my outside pick. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. She's super powerful. And I know she won the European Time Trial Championships, um, but got, got second at the Olympic Time Trial and second at the World's Time Trial. 
and she was very honest and open, which I thought was really cool. She was really honest about being really disappointed with second. So even though she was happy for Alan um, Van Dyke to win the time trial, she really drove home how much it would have meant for her to win the Worlds and how it was her biggest goal of the season. So it would be really cool if she could come back and I'm sure she'd feel super awesome to make up for that. I mean, I say make up, I would love a silver medal at the Worlds, but this is Marlon Russo we're talking about. She has high expectations. <laughs> so if she could, yeah, make up for that and come out and win Paris Bay, I'm sure that would be a dream come true. And she's moving to SD Works next year. So I think it would be really nice for her slightly smaller team, LA, um, to come away with a win before she moves on. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm a big fan of that. If people are, uh, I love the candid, like, yeah, no, it sucks to get second. I definitely would have won. <laughs> I wanted to win this race. I, I just feel like that's not, especially for women, that's not embraced um, nearly enough. Yeah, it is really refreshing. Although I do have to say, Malin was very, very yeah, gracious yeah. as well and said she was thrilled for Ellen as well. But yeah, it would be cool to see Malin win. And I think you're right. Um, it's really nice when people are super honest. Also, I said Chloe Hosking, uh, she was one of the favourites in a way, like outside favourite, but I think the leader for Australia maybe. And, yeah, she had a super honest Instagram post afterwards saying, yeah, like it does suck when you have a really big goal in mind and then it doesn't come to fruition at all. But she still thanked like the organizers and the crowd so much and said it was still such an honor to represent Australia. And yeah, in the end, you have to remember how much fun it is, even if your race doesn't go how you want, like she still had a fantastic day. And I think, yeah, being able to see her post, just say, like, see how honest she was and say, yeah, it sucked. But in the end, it was still an awesome day. And a cool opportunity i thought that was really special you don't see that often yeah no i that's i that's so cool i'm I'm a huge fan of that well i'll let you go and if Kristen win if Kristen or an australian wins we'll have you back on to do a shoey um <laughs> that sunday night yeah thanks for having me it was great to have you back on All right. Well, that's it for this week. Tune in tomorrow. Peacock in the US, I guess NBC Sports potentially as well, to watch the first ever edition of the women's Paris-Roubaix. And then the men's is on Sunday. Both of those should be great races. Super intense, super wet, really slippery, total chaos, total chaos. All right. Well, thank you and have a great weekend. Bye.